If you would, take your Bible and turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. I'll be reading verses 26 and onward. Genesis 1, if you're using the Bible in the pew rack, it will be on page 1. Probably in any Bible it will be on page 1. If not, then it will be on page 2. But if you would, stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Genesis 1, verses 26, and we'll read through to the end of the chapter. This is what Holy Scripture says. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth. And every tree with seed and its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father, we need your help in ways that we don't even realize. We need you more than we recognize and are willing to acknowledge. And so God, would you come and help us in these moments? Would you come and shape and mold us in ways that are maybe even imperceptible to us at times? Would you come and speak to us words that we didn't know that we needed to hear? Would you work your grace in our hearts in ways that are undeserved, in ways that are gracious, in in, in ways in which we have not earned that grace? Would you come and surprise us by your Spirit's operation in our midst today and throughout the week in the coming days, months, and years. God, we need you so very desperately. We need you to speak to us. We need you to work in us. We need you to work through us if anything good is going to, be, is going to occur here this morning. Would you help me as the preacher, even as I feel weak? Would you help all of us to receive the truth of your word? We cannot do that without your Spirit's help. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So I still feel the effects of uh, Pastor James Seward, even though he is officially gone from our midst, because I was assigned this sermon before he left. So here I am preaching to you a sermon on technology, and maybe I was qualified because I was the youngest of the preachers. I'm not sure. But here we are. (laughs) The art 
of Christian living, technology. Now, there are significant periods in church history. I could point to the second and the third centuries when Christianity was expanding in its formative years despite being in a hostile pagan environment. I could point to the fourth and the fifth centuries when Trinitarian theology and Christology were under attacked and or under attack, and so Christians clarified their theological position through ecumenical councils and creeds. You could point to the official split of the Eastern Church and the Western Church in 1054 AD, the effects of which are still felt today. Or you could point to that gray era of the church from our perspective, the Protestant Reformation, where, when the saving gospel was recovered by men like Luther, Calvin, and Zwingli, the heirs of which we are a part. And, th- and though it's difficult to prove that this era will go down in history, there is something unique about our day and age because we live in the digital revolution. The gospel is able to go forth with faster speed to a broader audience because of the internet and the radio. More people are able to access and to hear biblical teaching because of the technological advances, say, of the last two decades. I studied at the Master's Seminary in Los Angeles, California, and our president, John MacArthur, would often talk about this, that we live in a special age, to the point where, and I forget the exact location, I think it was um, farmers or field workers who would work on the rice farms of Vietnam, and they would have recordings of John MacArthur's sermons, like on a, like, an MP3 player or something like that, and that's how they heard his teaching, and so his teaching was able to go across the globe in ways that are unprecedented in the history of the church. We live in a digital age. We live in a technological age. And so while every era of Christians needed to consider how it is that God would have them live in the world, the question of technology, I think, is a unique challenge for Christians living in 2023 in southern Ontario today. Now, I did use uh, some resources in the crafting of this sermon. I want to make mention of those at the outset. You know, they say with plagiarism, if you, like, you know, quote one source, it's plagiarism, but if you quote many, it's good research. So hopefully I've done good research this morning. There's two works by Tony Ranke. Uh, It is called God, Technology, and the Christian Life. And then there's another by him called 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You. And there's a work by Tim Challies called The Next Story. So I did gather a lot of my material, my thoughts out of those works. Uh, I, will quote, I will kind of reference them throughout, but not at every point. Uh, but I just want to make mention of that at the outset. If you're taking notes this morning, I want to begin by asking a question. And this is how we're going to structure our sermon. I find that often when we are uh, tackling topical sermons, it's helpful to frame them around questions. So the first question is simply this, what is technology? What is technology? Britannica defines technology in this way, the application of scientific knowledge to the practical aims of human life, or as is sometimes phrased, to the change and manipulation of the human environment. Tony Ranke defines it a little bit more simply. He says, it is the reordering of raw materials for human purposes. Technology, according to Tony Ranke, is the reordering of raw materials for human purposes. So just to get us on the same page then, when we use a spoon to take a mouthful of soup and put it into our mouths, that is a use of technology, that's a form of technology. 
Um, a metal plow that is attached to an animal to loosen the soil, that's technology. A calculator that performs mathematical functions that we should be able to perform in our brains, but we don't, that's technology. The automobile that allows us to travel from Toronto to Ottawa in about five hours' time, a trek that would have taken a horse-drawn carriage over a week, that's technology. The ships that are being developed for the sake of space tourism today, that is technology. So technology covers the gamut. It is everything from a manufactured knife that helps us to cut tomatoes in the kitchen, to the fertilizer that is sprayed on those tomatoes while on the farm, to the companies that produce the fertilizer with the right mix of nutrients. All of that involves technology. And so technology is inescapable in our world. The moment we begin to repurpose the Earth's resources to complete a particular task, we are using technology. And in fact, it seems that such use of technology was anticipated by God as he created the world and human beings to inhabit it. Let me explain, which is our second question. Does God approve of technology? Our second question is this. Does God approve of technology? And for this, I want to go back to Genesis 1, verse 26. You don't have to turn there, but God says there, let us make man in our image. Now, one of the unique aspects of us being created in the image of God is that we have the ability to create and to innovate, okay? So a beaver, for example, can build a dam out of logs and sticks in order to create a home for itself, or bees can create hives and honeycombs. But beavers nor, dam- or beavers nor bees, they can't go beyond these natural functions, For hundreds and thousands of years, bees and beavers have done those things. And they have not made any categorical changes or improvements to their process, and they really don't want to. Their honeycombs are sufficient, and their dams are good enough. Animals can be industrious and productive, but there is no desire for creativity to produce something unique. They also have no longing for innovation to better their living conditions or any sort of beaver society. But God says to Adam and Eve in Genesis 1:28 these words. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This means this. Adam and Eve are placed in the garden, okay? Not to sit around while angelic butlers waited on them hand and foot. They were given the task of bringing creation under its rule on behalf of God, and they were to harness the earth's resources for the advancement of God's glory and the building of human civilization. The earth's resources, or the earth's raw materials, needed to be harnessed and repurposed by man. The one who is charged to do this harnessing and this repurposing is humanity. So in order to do that harnessing and repurposing, man needs to employ technology. So just think about their task, okay? Adam and Eve and their progeny were to spread the good reign of God across the globe. 
They, this would eventually involve modes of transportation, the building of roads and bridges. They would need to eat and be nourished, obviously, so they had to harvest the natural foods available from the earth. They also had to learn to farm, to till the ground, to plant the seed, to tend their farms, and to harvest the crops. In order to manage the animals, remember they were to subdue the animals, they may have built fences and boundaries, and those animals also need to eat, so some system had to be developed. My point here is this. God created man and then charged him with the task of subduing the earth. And though the tools and technology that we are talking about here might sound primitive, technology was required for mankind to carry out his mandate to harness the earth's resources to advance God's purposes. So then the takeaway for us at this juncture is simply this. To think that technology is categorically bad or evil or to think that God's solution for human beings to do away with technology, or to bring it into our modern day to be without a smartphone or laptops is somehow a better way of life, is more your opinion than good theology. But you might say, well, that's a leap, isn't it, Pastor? To say that the building of fences for animals and necessity of primitive farming equipment indicates God's blessing of advanced technology like iPhones and MacBooks, isn't that a leap? To say that because farming and um, you know, just basic primitive tools is necessary for the advancement of human civilization, that that endorses the use of iPhones and laptops? Let me put it this way. Even a group as as extreme in their view of technology, like the old order or even some forms of the new order Amish. And so for them, okay, and I'm generalizing, and I understand that there's different sects and different groups that have different rules, but I'm generalizing, they can have electricity in their homes, they can own automobiles for transportation, they can use modern equipment on their farms, but they limit their use of technology in the home. And my point here is this, that even the Amish, who are quite extreme in their view of technology, they view technology as sort of inherently worldly, they view technology as inherently a bad and dangerous thing, even for them, they have this strange divide where technology is entirely allowed on the farm and for business, but it's largely prohibited in the home. I think it's inconsistent. And I think it, that it goes to show that even the Amish who live in the 21st century cannot get away from the use of technology in their lives and in their livelihood. Okay, so pastor, you're saying that technology is good. You're saying that technology is necessary for mankind to carry out its mandate. The technology is also inescapable in our day and age. But all of us know that there are bad uses of technology. You think of a cyber attack that might hack into a bank database and then all of a sudden, you know, all of this information, information is out there, you know, for, you know, and people are vulnerable as a result of the release of their information. Or you think of how North Korea wields a certain level of power because they possess nuclear weapons. Is all technology then good? And that's our third question. Is all technology good? And I want to just give a example of this from the scriptures, and it comes again from the earlier chapters of Genesis, and it's the use of the technology of tar or bitumen or pitch, okay? It's the use of tar or pitch by Noah 
and at Babel. I want to give you a good use of technology and a bad use of technology, and so let us begin. God warns that he is going to destroy the earth in the days of Noah because men's hearts had become corrupted and there was violence in the earth. And so you know this story. God instructs Noah to build an ark. It takes him over a 100 years, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, to build this ark. And God instructs Noah, obviously, to build this thing out of wood, but then also to cover it inside and out with pitch or with tar, okay? And this pitch or this tar, maybe it was naturally available, it was readily available, or maybe they had to extract it out of the earth. But either way, this pitch or this tar had to be repurposed for man's purposes. And in this case, the tar was applied to the entirety of the ship in order to make it waterproof in the flood. That was pretty crucial, obviously. So that is primitive, but it's an effective and good use of technology. Using technology in obedience to God to carry forward God's redemptive purposes, even though here it involves judgment, and to protect human life. The use of pitch or tar by Noah to waterproof the ark was a good use of technology. The second use of pitch or tar comes from the world's tallest tower at the time. Not the Burj Khalifa, not the CN Tower, but the Tower of Babel. The construction of this tower took place about 150 years after Noah. Noah's progeny had grown in numbers, and we don't know the exact number, but they had grown in size and in population. And they had rallied together, and they had landed in a land called Shinar. And they had learned at this point to make fired brick. And you might be like, what's important about that? Well, um, mud brick, it was cheaper, it was more readily available, but it was not as sturdy. And so they discovered that to take the brick and to... Uh, and to burn it, or to put it into the fire, made it much more sturdy, and it was much more strong as a result. And they also discovered bitumen, or tar. So with this newfound technology of fire brick, and the discovered tar at their disposal, the people resolved to do great things, and to make a name for themselves, to fulfill their own dreams, and to leave behind a lasting legacy of their own greatness. And with such a motto, you think that this tower could have been built in 2023. There's a problem with this tower, though. And it was not the use of new technology that was the problem. It was not that human beings were using their God-giving abilities to make things, or even great things. It was that people were using those God-given abilities to rebel against God-given commandments. And then furthermore, at Babel, the people were using their God-given abilities to elevate their own name, all while ignoring the glory and honor of the one who had created them in the first place. So in the biblical account, God will judge the people of Babel. The text uses a lot of sarcasm. It says that God had to come down from heaven because he couldn't see it quite from there. And so he had to come down because the tower, even though great in the minds of the people of Babel, was puny in God's sight. He comes down to see this puny tower. He confuses the language. This is probably the leading tech of the day, though. The use of fired bricks with harvested tar to build a tower of enormous size. It was impressive. Perhaps more impressive than the ark that Noah had built, but yet it was a bad use of technology. 
It was bad because it was driven by human pride. It was bad because it ignored divine commandments. Yet, I think we should remember that God was sovereign and in full control both at the flood and at Babel. He stood as king over the good use of technology and over the bad use of technology. Just one of the brief example is this. And, and I'm just trying to kind of wet our, the, the appetites of our mind here. So I know that this is not necessarily new information for any of us, but I'm just trying to kind of put this together in a way that is clear, in, in a way that we are able to think about these things for a prolonged period of time. But the other example is simply this. It is the example of nuclear power. When a nuclear reactor splits an atom in a process called fission, it produces great amounts of energy. And in fact, in our province, nearly 60% of our energy comes from nuclear power plants. But if you take that same technology and place it into a capsule and drop it over Hiroshima or Nagasaki, the results are obviously devastating. And I'm not trying to make any judgments or calls upon the military strategy at the time. I'm just saying it's a destructive use of technology. And so the problem, as with all things, is not so much the technology itself. The primary problem lies with us and our use of technology. It's humanity's use of technology collectively, or it's an individual's use of a given technology that makes it evil or good. So technology can be used in ways that are bad and destructive, but also ways in which it is good and helpful. Fourth question is this. Why do we need technology in a fallen world? Why do we need technology in a fallen world? And, and this is maybe something that you haven't thought about as much, but you experience all the time. It's not something that we're readily um, cognizant of, and yet it is, uh, it, we derive benefits from this reality all the time. And that is this. One of the major benefits of technology is that it curbs the effects of the fall. For example... We are all wearing clothing today. Technology curbs the effects of the fall. Farmers use technology to kill weeds and to prevent insects from ruining their crop. And if, if they didn't do that, then we wouldn't be able to eat. And many of you know, but our son Noah was diagnosed with leukemia in the fall of 2019. Leukemia obviously being a form of blood cancer. 50 years ago, when children were diagnosed with leukemia, they went from diagnosis to death in about three months. Today, 90% of children diagnosed with acute lymphoblastic leukemia, ALL, which is the type of leukemia that Noah had, are cured. According to one article, it says this, the road to curing most children with ALL may be the greatest success story in the history of cancer. So as a family and as a church, we, we are thankful that we live in 2023. We are thankful for technology that curbs the effects of the fall so that our son, along with thousands of others, are able to live longer in this world. So again, technology is a good, God-given gift that is both beneficiary and necessary for human beings to live carry out their God-given mandate, and to experience joy in this world, okay? Which means this, that to shun technology or to become like the old order Amish 
who steer clear of most uses of technology, or even in our minds to think that my life would be better off if we would just go back to the simpler good old days when technology was not as prevalent in life or in society. I think that that's not just a bad opinion, but bad theology. We live in the digital age and in a technological world, and so to hijack a little bit the words of Jesus, we are called to live in the world, but not of the world. So then the question is this. Technology is good. There's good uses of technology in this world. There's good use of technology that curb the effects of the fall. Are we to embrace all forms of technology then? Because let's face it. Most of us are not teetering on the fence of becoming Amish. We are ever pushed towards technology. That's our problem. And technology is ever pushed against us. It is propped up as the hope and savior of mankind. And this is a quote that I found from Ranke's book. There's two men who talk about how intelligent machines or robots may be able to create the wealth needed to provide food, clothing, shelter, education, medical care, clean environment, and physical and financial security for the entire world population. Such technological uh, innovation, then, is much more than the pursuit of scientific curiosity. It is more even than a monumental technological challenge. It is an opportunity to eradicate poverty and usher in a golden age for all humankind. Now, Now, just hear what this these men are saying, they're they're saying that with the advancement of technology, with creative innovation of technology, we are to eradicate world poverty, and we are able to usher in a golden age of humanity. But, But if that's true, that technology can usher in a golden age, and technology is the solution to our woes and problems, why are anxiety and depression rates through the roof? Why are rates of divorce on the rise? Why is there an ever-increasing need to talk about mental health? Why has our society become so myopically focused on me, myself, and I? Let me suggest to you, my friends, that technology is not the ultimate solution to our woes because... And I know that none of you would say this out loud. I know that none of you would say that my iPhone is the solution to all of my problems, but we act like it sometimes. Because if if that was the case, that technology is the ultimate solution to the problems of humanity, then we, as the most technologically advanced people in the history of civilization, would be the happiest, most content, most joyful, most self-sacrificial, most loving, and most God-oriented people the world has ever known. But we know that looking out into the streets and looking in the mirror, that it is a far cry from reality. Fifth and finally then, how should we approach technology? And if you're taking notes, you can maybe word it this way. What are the dangers of technology in a fallen world? What are the dangers of technology in a fallen world? world. And we'll just linger here a little bit. Um, but the basic approach is this, and it's, it's simple. It's not rocket science. If you sat down for 10 to 15 minutes, I'm sure that you could have come up with this as well. I did it by stealing from Charlie's, but 
We need to approach technology with disciplined discernment. We need to approach technology with disciplined discernment. We need to be intentional about our use of technology. We need to understand new technologies that become available. We need to evaluate the pros and cons of that technology. We need to think particularly about how those technologies affect us, how they affect our relationships with other people, and how they affect our relationship with God. To, To put it simply, in another way, we need to thinkingly use technology, not unthinkingly have technology use us. And at this point, I'm talking more about advanced forms of technology, okay? I'm not, necess- I'm not talking to you about how you use your spoon or how you use a horse-drawn carriage. I am talking to you, though, about things like smartphones and tablets and computers and televisions and apps and things like that. And I'm entering this section of the sermon just to be ever so self-referential, not, not with a goal to push you towards technology by highlight- highlighting all of its benefits. For one... I think that I would probably sound fairly ignorant to some of you by standing up here and talking about techie stuff. But for two, I think that most of us are not too timid towards technology, but all too enamored with it. So most of these will have a cautionary or restraining toe, and that's intentional. Okay? So if you're in here and, um, you know, your, your, your tendency is to kind of shun technology and your, te- your, your temptation is just to kind of... Um, like basically shut yourself off from what you perceive to be worldly, then, then these points might be not as helpful for you. But for most of us, I think that we're too, all, all too enamored with technology, not too timid towards it. So I hope to be helpful to you. So in the time that remains, let me provide you with five warnings as you use technology. Five warnings as you use technology. Number one, technology presents both opportunity and risk. There was something called the Segway, introduced about 10 to 15 years ago, and if you don't know what the tech Segway is, it's, it's sort of like, um, it was a trans, it's a personal transportation device. It had two large wheels on the side, and there was a platform on which to stand, and there was a handlebar that came up the, wid- the middle, and there was, um, you know, obviously things that you could place your hands onto. The more you leaned forward, the faster it went, and then the more you put the handlebar upright, the slower it went. Apparently, the owner of Segway Company, unfortunately, was tragically killed when, listen to this, one of his Segway vehicles drove him off a cliff. Now, the use of technology for us is not going to end in our death, but we are often all too oblivious to the risks of technology. These risks are not advertised by the companies who make the technology, They're not the topic of conversation generally by those who consume them. You know, when was the last time you saw a TikTok video um, where it says, you know, why it would be good for your mental health to get rid of TikTok? And surely most of us have heard of the studies and the reports that are done on the negative use of social media and smartphones on our sort of emotional, psychological health. And yet we often just go on with our day. Ignoring these findings. So what are some of those risks and the negative effects? Second, technology can become an idol. Technology can become an idol. Earlier I said that technology can be used for good or for bad. 
which might leave you with the impression that technology is morally neutral. And just to get technical, I do think that technology is amoral. I don't think there's anything inherently good or bad with a given technology per se. And I think it's humanity's use of a given technology that makes it either bad or good. But for us to think that all technology is neutral in its application or in its effect upon us, I think is wrong-headed. Because here's the thing. Technology has an agenda. Technology wants our attention, our money, and our worship. Believe you me, Silicon Valley is not neutral about the way you live your life, spend your time, set priorities, and think about the things of God. Social media is built to be addictive so that you are constantly giving those platforms your most precious commodity, your time. But it's not just the fault of these high-tech companies. It is ultimately a problem of the human heart. And I'm speaking here a bit tongue-in-cheek, but if you, if you ask a young person to give up their phone, you know, let's say for like a week, it's like you've asked them to like chop off their arm, you know. And Charlie's is helpful here. He says, because technology is meant to serve us in fulfilling our creative purpose, because it makes us, our lives easier, longer, and more comfortable, we are prone to assign to it something of a godlike status. So technology itself can become an idol for us, but it can also feed other idolatries. Third, technology can feed other idolatries or other idols. This can be illustrated by the young woman who is ever fluctuating between elation and depression as she receives likes on her post, which took 37 tries to get her candid photo just right. But then later in the week, sees posts of her friends laughing and enjoying the weekend, to which she's not invited, and so now she is in the pits. Technology of this sort makes us deeply crave immediate approval and can easily feed envy and jealousy. And, and just so I'm not just picking on the teenage girl, like, I mean, this happens even to, well, me as a 33-year-old man who doesn't even have Instagram, you know. Um, so just, just to give a, a brief illustrations even for my own life, um, is I, I think um, I, I wrote an article for a youth pastor blog this week, and then uh, my wife posted it on our Facebook page just because I shared the link. And so she shared it, uh, so I didn't necessarily intend for it to be up there, but, I sh- but once she shared it, I was like, oh, well, like, who's liking it? You know, how many, you know, what's the response I'm getting? You know, I don't even have social media, I'm not even in this world, and yet I, like, that, that's just a, this, it does this to us. We want the immediate approval of others, and we're, we're curious about that, curious about what other people think about us, curious about where we are in sort of the hierarchy of social media. And I'll, and I'll aim to be somewhat vague on this point, just in light of who is in the room, but the advent of the smartphone began to facilitate immorality in unprecedented ways. Well, immorality is not new to the digital age, its accessibility is. And not to alarm you parents, but the stats on this are staggering amongst teens. I think one person said, you know, what, what, what do you think would happen when you gave to, let's say, young teenage boys a computer that fits into their pocket where they have access to the World Wide Web and then told them, hey, you can just have this 24-7 access, whatever you want, and they, have, they do have access to whatever they want, wherever they want, however they want. What did you think was going to happen? Immorality is not new in our age. 
but its accessibility is. So again, I I don't think the solution is to give your 15-year-old son a typewriter and a rotary phone. But the solution, at least in part, is to be aware of the dangers and risks that these technologies pose. Not to be naive about these things. And not to be lazy and have a go-with-the-flow, laissez-faire attitude towards such things because they pose real threats and real dangers to the 15-year-old boy, but also to the 75-year-old you know, man as well. For technology can leave you lonely. Technology can leave you lonely. And this is one of the ironies of technology. Technology promises constant connectedness. And people talk about belonging to online networks and communities. Gamers can connect with people from across the globe over League of Legends. It is possible to be always connected and never alone, or so we think. Here's the problem. In an online community, you get to pick and choose those you interact with virtually as easily as you pick the apps on your home screen on your phone. If you don't like someone, or they said something, that, or they, they said something that you don't like, you can just block them. But here's the catch. Others can do that to you also. Also, in the world of social media, on the platform of technology, you can put forth the best version of yourself, cutting out the bad and ugly bits. And you might say, well, there's lots of people that are authentic and transparent on social media. They share their difficulties. And to that, I would say this quite well. But they choose the bad moments they share. They, they choose the exact pictures that capture those bad moments. And they write the caption that explains it. I'd say that's hardly transparent and authentic. And furthermore, while technology allows us to be connected to our gaming friend in the Philippines, it isolates us from our family sitting across the table. Technology encourages us to lock ourselves in our rooms, isolated from family, but connected to the world. In the church, we've seen this exacerbated by COVID. We see many people who have opted for church online. We who think that watching a television screen of live music and a talking head for one hour a week will check the box of blood-bought communal life for the people of God. Listen, brothers and sisters, there are relational benefits of technology. Until Alyssa's parents moved here, my boys would... You know, it was like a daily ritual thing for them, that they would call grandma and she would read a story to them over FaceTime. They don't do that anymore, though. In in general, if it can be helped, face-to-face interaction is more wholesome than FaceTime interaction. Embodied presence will be more fulfilling than an online presence. And person-to-person interaction, when you have to deal with people and put up with their annoying quirks, and they have to do the same for you that is more communal than an online community where people can be canceled by the press of a button. I don't mean to sound like a grumpy old man. I just want you to be warned that while technology promises constant connectedness, it will leave you feeling isolated and lonely. One other warning of technology is this. Technology can make you shallow, and it's a little bit of a catch-all category here. I'll work through these quickly. 
Technology can make us distracted. We are rushed and hurried. We always skim the surface. We never want to go deep. And even in this sermon, how many of you are having a hard time staying focused right now? We've only been going for about 30 minutes. We live in an age of YouTube shorts and TikTok. Even longer shows change their camera angles every few seconds so that it keeps us engaged. Technology also makes us live in the tyranny of the now. We massively struggle with FOMO, fear of missing out. We wonder what other people are doing. We wonder what's happening. And God forbid that I'd be the last one to find out about a party or the Taylor Swift concert or see the new Barbie trailer, which, by the way, I only saw because one of the leaders up at NBC showed, showed me it because they were recreating it. She's like, have you seen this video? I'm like, no. Have you seen this other show? No. You know, I don't know what she was thinking in her head, but anyways... <laughs> And all of us leads us to forget that we are eternal beings who are going to live tomorrow and forever in a day. We, we are living lives that will have eternal consequences and that we are, will be and are accountable to an eternal God. Technology helps us to forget about and not remember God. Third, technology leads us to waste time. And again, again, ironically, isn't that one of the ironies of technology? It, it promises us that you will become much more efficient and productive if you adopt technology into your life. And again, it's true. Technology can be enormously helpful to, to aid us in our work or in our lives. It helps us to be more efficient and productive. But how much time do you waste doom-scrolling? Mindlessly scrolling through negative news and controversial posts. How many short videos have you watched in the past week? How many shows have you binge watched in the last month? How many times have you crawled into bed with the intention to go to bed and one, two, three hours later and you're still on your phone? And in one sense, I don't care how much time you spend on YouTube or Netflix or reading articles, or gaming, because that's between you and God. But that's the point, isn't it? It is between you and God. And while I don't want to prescribe a specific time limit on devices, or lay lay down some arbitrary standard for all members of MABC to follow, I would venture to say that most of us need to be reminded of what John Piper said concerning social media. This is a tweet that he put out, you know, probably a few, you know, several years ago, but he says one of the greatest uses of Twitter and Facebook will be to prove at the last day that prayerlessness was not from lack of time. Brothers and sisters, I'm not arguing for a particular approach to technology this morning in the sermon. Some of you will be more tech savvy and drawn to gadgets and devices. There's nothing inherently wrong with that. Others of you will be drawn more to simplicity and traditional ways of doing things. And again, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. But all of us need to come to terms with the reality that we do live in the digital age. And this presents us with great opportunities, but also great dangers as believers in the Lord Jesus. And so we need a disciplined discernment to evaluate the way we use technology We need to be more aware of the way technology affects us and those around us. Particularly, we need to be on guard against the ways technology can grab hold of our hearts in unhealthy ways. 
We can be thankful for technology, but we must also understand its limits. Technology is not the ultimate solution to our woes and miseries. Technology cannot satisfy the longings of your soul. And technology will always leave you high and dry, empty and barren, if you trust in it to bring you happiness, peace, and joy. Our hope, though, is connected to technology of sorts. 2,000 years ago, a blacksmith started a fire, fashioned a hammer, and three iron spikes. A woodworker produced two planks of wood that could be formed into a cross. And the Romans used the method of a crucifixion extensively to execute the lowest types of criminals. It was an excruciating and humiliating form of capital punishment. Jesus was nailed to that wood with the iron spikes. He was lifted onto the already erected pole, and he was left there to die. Not ultimately as a display of the ancients' ingenuity in coming up with this, with this device, but as a display of the love and power of God. To take the existing technology of the day and to subvert it for his redemptive purposes. To crucify his son upon the manufactured beams, utilizing the tools of a hammer and some iron spikes. And that, my friends, is our ultimate hope. Not in the technological advancements of our age, but in a loving Savior who was crucified on an ancient cross. The Apostle Paul writes this. For us who live in the technological age of the 21st century, and for him who lived in the 1st century, these words are ever true. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. And I just pray that some of what I said might be used to accomplish your purposes in the lives of your people. Thank you so much, Father, for loving us first. And thank you that though you created this world with technology, you gave us not a smartphone, but your son, the Lord Jesus. In him, we have all hope, all joy, all peace for now and forevermore. Thank you for the Lord Jesus. We pray these things in his name. Amen.